Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Clean Libertarian Podcast, and I hope you're having a fantastic week. Um, as I'm recording this, I just got done working a first step with my sponsor. Uh, you guys remember last week, you know, I said I was going to get back down through there, start working some more steps, and, and it feels good to be back in the swing of things, you know. Um, me and my sponsor been running together for a while. This is about a 10-year-old relationship that I've had with him, and he's he's been right there with me through a lot of uh, triumphs and a lot of tragedies, and um, it's just nice, man. So if you if you are out there, you know, and you're kind of toying with this idea of recovery, uh, particularly with the 12 steps, I cannot suggest uh, enough the value and 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 getting a sponsor and and doing it that way you know um he's somebody he knows he knows my strengths he knows my weaknesses and there's just something too like when i'm standing in a problem i have the complete and total inability to accurately assess exactly how big that problem is i regularly turn uh mountains into molehills and molehills into mountains you know uh when I heard Greg P said it once, man, he said, when it's about you, two plus two equals four. But when it's about me, two plus two equals 5,683, you know, every time. Uh, I don't know what that is, but so, and I, I'm, I'm ranting a little bit going off, but man, for real, get you, get yourself a sponsor. And if you're not in a 12 step fellowship, get yourself a point of accountability, somebody that you can talk to on a regular basis. And, you know, Iron sharpens iron, man. That's how this thing works. So anyways, I have a phenomenal, phenomenal, and I know I say this a lot, but this is a phenomenal interview. Uh, you guys remember KRS Jack. He was on a couple weeks back for the for the dad roundtable that we did. Well, he wanted to uh, come on and do his testimony, and this is this was just a solid conversation, real laid back, real chill. Um, and he just tells his story, man. And if you listen, I don't know if you can hear, I know I was able to hear it, but he's sitting outside. So there's like crickets in the background and just a nice, cool summer evening. Uh, I don't know. It was like the, the environment for the conversation was just great, man. And so this was just a conversation sitting down and talking with KRS Jack and, uh, I hope you enjoy it. So without any further ado, here you go. All right. I'm here with Jack. What's up, KRS? What's going on, man? Not a whole lot, man. Just kicking back on, what is this, Thursday evening? Yeah. Hanging out, taking it easy. Got to hit a meeting last night, and uh, life's good, man. How about yourself? Uh, it's uh, it's going well. We're, uh, we're wet and muddy up here, but uh, we're plugging along. So, same old, same old. I mean, it's... Well, I uh, that's it. I don't do a whole lot to go to work and come home and sit on this porch and and yell at people on Twitter. <laughs> That's a good life right there, man. That's a good life. That's cruise control, buddy. That's good yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, we got... one of the one of the things you know we we talked about you doing and you're up for it is kind of you coming on and sharing your testimony, man, and so. I'm gonna just let you have it, man. Who who is KRS Jack? Where did he come from? Well, um, I, you know my uh, 
my background is just pretty basic for around here, to be honest. I was raised in a, uh, I guess, for a lack of a better word, conservative home. I'm a conservative. It's one of those things that's kind of looked down on and frowned upon now, but I think it had a different definition. Uh, I guess it was more value-wise, social-wise, was raised in a, in a, in a conservative home. Um, my, my mother and father both were brought up in church. My dad was a pres brought up as a Presbyterian and my mother was sub Southern Baptist is a Southern Baptist. And, uh, when they got married, uh, they didn't really continue with their church life, uh, even after I was born. And so when I was from the time I was born till I was 11 or 12 years old, I, I, I very rarely ever. Ever, we were very rarely ever was in a church, and it was usually just me and my mom. My dad uh, usually bypassed it. Uh, so not knowing other than just the just the fringes of that, uh, that you know, the religion uh, and the belief uh, is kind of until I was, like I said, 11 or 12 years old. And then we moved back to the county where both my parents were raised. Uh, 1983 and my mom made the conscious decision that we were that she was going to take me to church we went to her home church the church that she was raised in the church that her parents went to the church that her father's family went to and her mother's family went to very generational thing and, and you know we always kind of flock to what we know uh, and and so that's where we started going um, my grandfather was a deacon in the church and very active. And then my mother and I became very active. And of course, I joined youth groups and different things. And um, when I was 13 years old, I accepted Christ. I, I made my profession of faith and served there in the church for from the time I was 13 to the time I was 18 years old, very faithfully, uh, helping with the worship service. Uh, I was my grandfather's shadow. He was, I mentioned, I think on the last time we talked that, you know, he, he was like Superman to me, man. I, everywhere he went, I went. And so, um, we were just, we got very involved in the church and things and was very faithful to it. My senior year of high school, um, about a month after my, I graduated, my grandfather passed away. And uh, it was, yeah, uh, 18 years old. Uh, and I was very devastated with that. And, and the sad thing about it was, is the very, he passed away is so great. I tell people all the time, I'm like, if I ever got, you know, if I had my way to, to choose to go, the way that he went was the way I'd choose to go. Because he went on a Sunday afternoon after he'd had dinner. We call lunch lunch dinner around here this and this is supper, so, right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. we yeah, yeah. so for those of you that don't know lunch but right after he had dinner he went out he went out he went out and he, he got in his favorite chair and sat underneath his favorite shade tree in the front yard where you catch him every sunday afternoon and he had a heart attack there and died in that spot and i had the i had made the choice that day not to go down there like we usually did every sunday my mother and i would go down there and and have dinner with them and i would i would spend the afternoon down there even even after i got grown got my driver's license you know sunday was going going to hang out 
and I made the conscious decision to do something else. I didn't even go to church that day. Um, and uh, I, I didn't get to see him. And I, not that that would have made any difference, but I, that was just the way to do it. But it was very, back, back to what I was talking about, it was very devastating. Um, yeah, man. You know, when that's taken out, that, that influence, that mentor uh, is taken out of your life. And um, I, it, I was grieving over it pretty hard and of course there were a lot of folks and look they were all well-intentioned i don't i don't i don't i don't fault anyone for going well we you know if i'm not there or or you know if i miss a sunday or you know if i've been sick or for somebody to go we missed you when, when you you know when you weren't we missed you last sunday when you weren't here some people take offense to that i didn't i always thought it was great yeah but uh i had a lot of people coming to me you know Saying, well, you know, you're, you're, you know, Raymond's gone, your grandfather's gone, and you know, somebody's going to, at some point, somebody's going to have to, you know, fill his shoes and take in, take his spot, and, and and to me, that was at that point, that was, and I was still grieving, and I was hurt, and it was like, eh, ain't nobody can take his place, you know, right. and I, I was angry, I, I, I was angry at the whole thing, and I just, I just kind of walked away from it, um turn my back on God, turn my back on service. Um, and what we were talking about before we started, I, I didn't, I didn't go out and live a, a wild rambunctious life, but I just made the conscious decision that I wasn't going back. Right. And, you know, it doesn't make any difference. Once you, yeah. Once you do, that's rebellion. It's still rebellion. It doesn't make any difference if you're still out here and you're, and you're serving in a, you know, a soup kitchen every week and doing all still doing all the things and trying to help people out you, you know you turn your back on god still rebellion right and uh so i i stayed out of church for 11 years um until i was 29 um of course I, during high school i met my my wife and uh we dated for quite some time on and off we dated on and off through high school um uh, and then even after high school uh, she went to school and became a surgical technician uh, and had got a job. We got married in 1994. I graduated in 90. We both did. We got married in 1994. And we, we bought, a, bought a little place and set up house. And uh, we were just living, living our best. We were just living our best life the best we could. You know, we, we, a lot of times it was hand to mouth. Uh, you know, living paycheck to paycheck. I was, I had just taken, when we got married, I'd just taken a job in construction working for a masonry company. And, you know, you work eight, nine months out of the year, and then you're home three or four months out of the year when you're in that kind of, that kind of business. And uh, she was employed, you know, of course, all the time, but, you know, it was a struggle sometimes. It wasn't anything that was terrible. But uh, I did a few things there on our place, kind of supplemented some income little farm work here and there, a few little things, but it was, it was, it was difficult, but we were doing our, you know, we were doing well. Uh, 97, our oldest was born um, in, in March of 1997. Uh, still no, you know, no effort was made on my part to say, Hey, you know, we've got us kind of guys, a family going on here. You know, maybe we need to start looking. Maybe I, I, I've got a son now that I've got to start kind of, you know, guiding. 
I, and maybe maybe we should you know go back maybe i should go back to church and you know get everybody involved and, and go from there like i should have done now yeah. i want to back up <clears throat> i want to back up my wife uh was born in alabama uh and her mother is from here we live right next door to where her mother actually grew up and uh, she she met a, a gentleman that was in the navy, and they got married. Uh, they it's a funny story, and I don't I know I don't want to I don't want to wander, but <clears throat> my mother in law met her husband. She had my mother in law had an aunt and an uncle that lived in Ohio, and and of course uh, she she caught the bus in, in Bowling Green and was riding up to Ohio to see him. And they met he was he was heading from home back to Norfolk, Virginia, and they met on the bus. <laughs> oh wow! And wow. yeah, and before and before like they hit it off, he started writing her, started doing all these things. Came to visit her. Before long, they were married. He retired from the navy in in, in I think right around sixty three or sixty four. Um, and my wife was born in seventy two. We were both born the same year. <clears throat> well, <clears throat> fast forward, her father passed away in I think nineteen eighty one. She was nine years old, and her mother didn't have any other family down there besides her in-laws and the, the, the her grandmother, my wife's great grandmother raised her mother. That was the farm that's next door here. And, and so my, my, my mother-in-law's grandmother said, Hey, you know, you all come up here. We'll cut you a little corner off of this farm and you can set up a trailer and stuff. And that's, that's how they ended up here, moved up here in 1982. Uh, so she started in the school system here in, in this county a year before I did. You know, we moved to where we're at, where my mom and dad lived in 83. So that's kind of, we met in school. And, and you know, kind of, you, you kind of see the circumstances there, though, right? I mean. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, what are the chances of of that, you know, happening? And it, And it's tragedy and it's tragic, but it's. You can look back. We can always look back on things that have happened in our life, and and it's especially easy to look back. It's it's hard to see when you're in it, but you can look back and you can go. I know exactly why now. I had to go. Why I went through those things. Why I had to go through those things. Yeah, man. Because if that hadn't happened, then I wouldn't be where I'm at right now. That's right. You know, we and so it it, it takes a little bit of I think spiritual maturity to kind of look at that. Yeah, uh, I think my wife. I think my wife looks at it like that. I know she does. She's told me, you know, she's like, she said, you know, my dad died. She said it was devastating. She said, but I look back on it now and see how how it all see how God was working in all of it. Yeah, man. Um, so back to her story. She wasn't raised. Her mother was Methodist. Was raised in a Methodist church a mile from where we live, but she, they weren't. They didn't go to church. My wife was not churched at all. She, there was no no Easter's, no Christmases, no anything that was ever spent. They didn't go. And, and my wife, when we met, could basically be best described as an agnostic. She, she realized that there, she, she thought that there might be something out there, but she didn't know what it was. She thought that there might be a God, but she didn't know what it was. You know, it was one of those things. And, and, and she wasn't a Christian when we married. So, you know, it, I, I saw that it was, I should have seen that it was kind of up to me. I, it was up to me. It should have been up to me to make sure that my household was secure. 
and I didn't. You know, here I am with a newborn son and, and a wife that's not that's not a Christian, that's not saved. And, and men, I this I don't want this to sound misogynistic, but but there's a structure to things. Men and women, the wife and the husband are equally yoked as partners. But men should men need to be, I believe men need to be the spiritual the, the spiritual guidance I, I just think that there's a structure to that and and i think it's a man's if he's a christian i think it's his job to make sure that his household is secure i just do yeah uh, and i wasn't doing i wasn't doing it now during this time during this 11 years during this time of you know we got married and and all this is going on i can look back now and i can see how god put like put people in my life and put them, you know, in front of me to kind of to try to turn me, to try to to try to nudge me back into the where he here where he needed me or wanted me to be. Get back in the boat, he was saying. But, yeah. yeah, well, or you know, kind of. My my grandpa used to say, you know, he just kind of nudged you. He was nudging you, nudging you back in. <laughs> That's you awesome. know, yeah. you're out, yeah. you're, son, you're out, you're out off over here. And, you I, you know, you need to be back over here because where you're headed, you don't want to be over there. Right. You know, and and I, I I look back on it now and I see it. You know, there were a lot of aunts and uncles and a lot of family members that, that I'd gone to church with that I was raised around the time that we were there that loved me and were very concerned. And they did it out of love. And, you know, they didn't come to my house and knock on the door. But when I'd see them. You know, they'd be like, hey, you know, uh, we're, we're missing you at church and we're, you know, it's all these things. And I know they did it out of love. And I don't, I didn't, I didn't begrudge them then uh, even about it. But I was in my mind, I was like, well, I'll, when I'm ready. Have you ever said that to yourself? Oh, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. When man. I'm ready, I'll go back when I'm ready. I'll go back when I think I'm, when I think I'm, you know, worthy or I think I'm, let me tell you something, folks, you, you're not ever going to be worthy. And you're never going to be the, the whole reason that you go to a, a doctor is because you're sick. Right. And, right. uh, you know, I you like don't, that. you don't, you, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't, you, if you're sick, you, it's hard. Sometimes it's hard to heal your, it's hard. It's difficult to heal yourself, especially spiritually. And you need to see a doctor. If, yeah, you, if you're holding off to go, if you're holding off going to church or, or uh, don't wait and don't say to yourself, well, I'm going to wait till I, you know, I'm, I need to get some things straightened out in my life first. I need to get rid of some things in my life first. None of us are worthy to walk through those doors. None of us are worthy to, to go into that congregation because I believe the church is the body and not the building. If, of our own selves, we're not worthy. Right. If we're relying on ourselves, we're not worthy. And so I, at that time, that was my spiritual immaturity. And, and so I look back at it and I see that, you know, there was a I had a great uncle that I thought the world of um, one of my mom's uncles and I would see him down at our local. We had a corner store down here where everybody kind of congregated and I would see him. He would hang out down there sometimes in the afternoons and I would see him and, and he would talk to me and then he would move it on into, you know, uh, coming coming into church. You know, we just got a new preacher and you really like him. He's got a big farm, you know, down here in this county and whatever. And I was just kind of, yeah, yeah, you know, I just kind of blew it off. But I look back on it now and I'm like, man, you know, God was just, he was trying to tell me. 
things he was trying to say i, I need you back over here i want you back over here right. uh, uh you know I, and i also look back on that drew on that time with amazement and i tell people and i told people this when i when i tell people this all the time when i tell this story that i look back on those years and i realize that i turned my back on god for 10 or 11 years but he never turned his back on me one time mm-hmm. that's it never his that's hand it. of protection was his hand of protection was over me and over my family from the get-go he never left and he's not he doesn't leave no god doesn't turn god doesn't turn his back on you i'm sorry i don't i, <clears throat> I don't believe that for one second we can walk away we can say i'm done but if you're if you're secure in your salvation there's not anything that can take you out of God's hand. He's not going to remove you. You know, he, he's right. going to, he's going to, he's going to use you. And, uh, so 1998, we sold that place and built a house not too far from where we live at right now, about 1999 and, uh, lived there. We, we had, I'd gotten into horses, uh, gotten into uh, a lot of things that, I'm going to come into some familiar territory for you probably because everybody that I talk to that's gone through what you've gone through, a lot of times, a lot of problems that we, that we have in our lives, every problem that we have is all is self-inflicted. Okay. For, for one thing, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not a person that believes in, in an enabler. I, I believe you make conscious choices and, yeah. You know, uh, everything, every, every bit of damage that I've ever done or every, da- every bit of damage that's ever happened to me, it's all been self-inflicted. Right. So you, you have to be careful who you surround yourself with um, yep. and be what's conscious the, of that. What the book say? Uh, bad company corrupts good character? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, that's what was happening with me uh, uh, from that time. About, about 1998, I, I, I had some... You know, we moved back up into the community where we were, where my wife and I both grew up. You know, we built a house in that community. And and I look back on it now and I'm like, I, that wasn't such a good move. It really wasn't. Because, uh, you know, I, I had a lot of friends up here that I ran around with, uh, you know, in school. And, and we got reconnected. And, you know, of course, then, you know, the, the drinking started to escalate. The running around started to escalate. The, the hours of being gone away from home started to escalate. Um, I was neglecting my home life. Uh, I was out living for myself. I was, uh, I'll say it. I'm not, I'm not ashamed to say it because it all happened and it's true. I'm willing to own up to, to my faults, my flaws, and my mistakes. Um, I didn't see it because I was too damn dumb. I mean, that's just, I was oblivious to it, but, um, I won't say I fell in with a bad crowd, but I just fell in with a crowd that didn't have my best interest in mind. Right. Uh, you know, we weren't doing anything like I've said before we started illicit or illegal or anything like that. We were just out good old boys out doing what good old boys did. And my wife wasn't part of that crowd. She didn't really like that crowd too much when, when we were in high school and, 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 you know, I got sucked back in and, and uh, spending a lot of money, money that we didn't have, wasn't paying attention uh, to a lot of things, and it was all starting to culminate. I didn't realize just exactly how how bad it was 
till after everything that happened, you know, uh, every, after everything settled down and, and a few years afterwards, my wife was like, you know, she said, I was just, she said, I was just a breath away from leaving. Uh, you know, I left her with a load. I left her with a load there and I didn't realize I was too damn stupid and oblivious and selfish to, to see what was happening. It, it's um, really hard to see the amount of, you know, excuse my language, shit that you're standing oh, yeah. in when you're standing no. in the middle of it, man. Absolutely you right. Know? You know, and, and, and I wasn't paying attention. The main thing, and, and, you know, most couples, the majority of their arguments are over money, over financing, over those kinds of things. It's a killer, man. And, That's a relationship and, and killer. It is. And my problem was, as you know, I've, I, I've, I wanted to do all these things and I wanted to keep up with the Joneses and I wanted this and that. Ooh. And, you know, you know, I, it wasn't, look, it wasn't high dollar, but it was like, I'm just trying to keep up. You right. know, my buddy would say, Hey, I found this horse trailer. I would go in partners with him. Really. I didn't need to, I shouldn't have, I should have said, no, nope, I shouldn't have done it. You know, no, I can't do it right now. Right. I, you know, I did. It was those kinds of things. It was all stuff that we, we were all doing and I wasn't making a damn dime hardly off of any of it. I was, putting out way more than I was bringing in as far as that part. Now I, I, I had gotten out of the construction by that time and had a steady job that was paying pretty well, especially for that time. Uh, you know, 1998, 99, you know, 14, $13, $14 an hour. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, that wasn't bad money, especially for around here. And it was, I worked a, 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 about two miles from where we lived. So, you know, I, we were doing fine if I just, been paying attention we wouldn't have any problems and of course you know I, I if she ever confronted me with it or ever questioned me about it or ever whatever then you know of course i would either blow it off or you know get upset and i won't say angry i didn't fly off the handle but i get upset and and she just got to where it's like it wasn't even worth it for her to even say anything she just it's like all right well, whatever just kind of um, rolled with it kind of rolled with it so that's what was going on and 2001 uh, we found out that we were expecting again and that that's that spring summer early summer whenever that it was i'd have to i'd have to think on it when exactly that was we found out we were having twins and they were due sometime early to mid November. And this is this is two thousand and this is two thousand and one. So we were excited, and I kind of felt I think she felt like I was a, a little rejuvenated, but I was excited there for a while. Of course, I just kept on doing with what I was doing, and you know, and her load was getting heavier and heavier, um, both you know literally and and figuratively um so we go through that summer and i'll just go ahead and just jump through that to september now i mentioned the other night when we were we were talking with our little round table that you know every i have two i have two lifetimes i have pre-2001 and post-2001 and it's not because of 9-11 although some of those things had an effect on us. It wasn't exact. It wasn't our turning point. 
uh, 9-11 happened. Of course, everybody was walking around in a daze. Uh, right. We, we didn't know exactly what was going on. I remember the days of no contrails in the sky, no jet traffic, no anything. You know, we live between Louisville and Nashville. So, you know, airline traffic was one of those things that you see constantly here. There was nothing. I mean, everything was quiet and it was eerie and, and everybody was walking around in a daze and it was a little bit stressful. Yeah. Um, you know, so we had that fog going on. Um, Monday, the following Monday after 9-11, uh, September the 17th, I come home from work and my wife had, I knew she had a checkup that day with her, her, her doctor as far as with the twins and things and see how stuff was going. And so I got home, she wasn't home yet. So I, I get ready. I walk up on the, walk up on the porch and I'm getting ready to go in the house and I get a phone call. I'm, I did have a cell phone then. Remember the old Nokia's, the little, yeah, and uh, yeah. she, she, yeah, she, she calls and uh, she calls and she says, Hey, she said, um, I'm at the, I'm at the medical center. They've admitted me into the hospital. She said, they're observing me right now, trying to level some things out. I went to the doctor and her blood pressure was extremely high and she was passing a lot of protein in her urine. I didn't know what that meant. I was right. like, well, okay. She said, they're trying to, they've got me on some fluids. They're doing some things. They're doing some tests. She said, they're going to give it a few more hours, but if it, they can't get some stuff leveled out and, if, you know, if things don't start looking better, then they're going to send me to Vanderbilt. So I'm like, well, okay. So I said, well, I'm on my way. Well, by the time I got up there, I just much more walked in and they were getting her ready for the ambulance ride. I mean, they were, they were, they were breaking down the room. They were rolling her out. They explained to me, you know, what was going on. And, you know, they're like, look, you know, the Vanderbilt's going to be better equipped to handle what's going on. We're, we're, we're not equipped to, to, to deal with with it and we're going to send her down there for and let them see if they can get this you know straightened out because this was seven or eight weeks before the twins were actually due <clears throat> and uh so i was like well okay you know i'm still oblivious i'm still like well we're in the hospital they're on top of it you know right. we're going to vanderbilt it's going to be a good place to be you know because they were like look the vandy they see this kind of thing all the time they're going to be able to you know we're, we're going to send her down there where she'll get some better treatment and they've had some better testing and stuff. Like, cool. Okay. So we go down there and, and are in the room for a while and they've got her hooked up and they're, they're doing all these things. And <clears throat> the, uh, the twins start going into, you know, uh, distress. Uh, her blood pressure won't go down. Uh, so about, probably it was early in the morning of September the 18th. It was probably around one or two o'clock, probably two. Uh, they wheel her to the surgery and are like, we're going to have to do a cesarean emergency cesarean section to get the, you know, now, you know, the twins are and, and <clears throat> seven to eight weeks, you know, uh, babies are plenty viable at that point. Right. And, you know, at this point in time, I'm still confident. I'm still like, you know, I'm oblivious. I'm like, yeah, okay. And I'm thinking in my mind, you know, well, we're going, you know, she's going to have a C-section. And, you know, at this time, she's still coherent and she's still talking. And 
I'm like, oh, we're, you know, we're going to go through this. And then, hey, a couple of days we'll be home. We'll all be at home. And uh, I don't know whether it's so much optimism as it was just uh, not know, just ignorant what was happening. So the, the twins were delivered by C-section about three o'clock that morning. And uh, one was five pounds. The other was four pounds, six ounces. And uh, so they got them delivered in a hurry. To this day, I don't know what their length was. I know what their I know what their weight was, but they were in such a hurry they didn't even measure their length. I, I didn't even realize just what we were fixing to head into. I really didn't. Um, so my wife was still kind of under, and uh, so we get back into the room where she's recovering, and I uh, I go and, and visit the twins. They're both in NICU, and so I'm thinking, well, we get a night's rest and and all this. They try to get her to breastfeed, and and she was still just kind of out of it. And they're like, oh, well, you know, we'll just get them started on this and then we'll try again tomorrow. I'm like, we'll still be better tomorrow. You know, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll be fine. I'm thinking we'll be fine. We'll be, we'll be out of here, you know, tomorrow afternoon, you know, tomorrow or the next day. Right. So the next morning comes and she's still just very lethargic and just very, I just started feeling like something wasn't right. Something wasn't right. And I couldn't seem to get, the attention of the nurses and things. I, I mean, I know my wife, I've, been, I've known my wife since we were kids and I know when things aren't right and I couldn't get anybody to listen. But at this point I wasn't frustrated. I was just like, I didn't really know what was going on. You know, then I found out that one of the twins, the, the smaller of the twins, his digestive system wasn't completely developed yet. And he was having a hard time keeping any food down. So they had him hooked to the, they had IVs hooked into his scalp and all these things. And, Damn. Uh, this was, yeah, this was a Wednesday. By Wednesday evening, some friends of mine came down. And my wife is just not really, I mean, she was conscious, but she was in and out. And I just thought, well, she's just tired. You know, her body's been through a whole lot. I, I didn't realize, and I won't back up, I didn't realize just how physically ill that she was, even up to the point of before she went to the doctor, because I wasn't paying attention. Mm. Um, I, I look back on the pictures. I look back at the pictures of the baby shower. I look back at things, and I see it now. And I'm like, my gosh, man, you are you are you completely missed this whole thing. You know, you you might have been able to have headed something off if you would have been paying attention, but you weren't. So that Wednesday afternoon, uh, Wednesday evening, some friends of mine come down, and uh, a friend of mine and his wife and. We're talking and, and, and Carrie's just, my wife's just in and out. She's just in and out. And uh, my friend's wife was a, was a nurse and uh, here in close to home here. And she didn't work at Vanderbilt, but uh, she started looking at things. She's like, oh, she's, so she went out and got one of the nurses that come in. And by this time, somehow or another, my friend's wife got it through their head that something's going on. So she had, she was retaining a lot of water, a lot of fluid in her body, and her skin color was, was, was yellowing up. Uh, um, yes. So 
the next day they've got her in an in a basically like a ICU step down room. They had moved her, surrounded by doctors, and had run all kinds of tests and different things. And I wished I had all those details, but like I said, a lot of this is a fog because I am absolutely in a tailspin right now. I have no idea what's going on. <clears throat> There's so many people that work down there that I I wish I could, I wish I knew their names. I wish I remembered, I wish I'd gotten their names because there's, there's so many people down there that I would, I'd send a card to every year to thank them and to tell them that I still remember what they did and what they said. I, I, I'm sure that I looked like a zombie. Uh, there was this doctor that came and he approached me in the room and he said, you know, I, I don't have any idea what's going on. And he, he calls me over and we go over in the corner room. He says, look, he said, your, your wife has, it's what they call, she's going, what they call preeclampsia, which is basically passing a protein in the urine. Blood pressure's accelerated. I think there's something that has to do with some potassium levels too. And he said, her body's gone into what, what we call help syndrome. And he said, your wife's functions are, are her, her bodily functions are shutting down, trying to, you know, preserve <laughs> to keep her alive. He yeah. said her kidneys are sh her kidneys are shutting down. He said the reason she's retaining fluid is her kidneys are not working properly, and they're shutting down. And this was Thursday, and he said, you know, if she's not showing any signs of improvement by Saturday, well, she'll have to go on a dialysis, and she probably won't come off of it. Oh my God! And I'm sitting here like, so I have just gotten hit broadsided and i am sitting here standing here listening to this doctor basically tell me if your wife doesn't improve within the next 24 hours she's probably going to die mm. now, now i'm going to tell you something that's no place that anybody wants to be no man that's heavy that there's no, that's no place that anybody wants to be um my best friend that I neglected uh, was was dying. I had a four-year-old son at home and newborn twins, and I had no idea what I was going to do. None. I, I was completely at a loss. And then... That doctor said something that stuck with me because he could see it on my face. I know he could see it on my face. He said, you know, there's sometimes he said there are just things that are out of our control. He said, but I know someone that's in control. Mm. And, and mm. that was the moment. A friend of mine and I, we, we worked together for, we, we went to school together. He's my, he's my brother. He's another one of my brothers from another mother. He, we, we went to school together. He's a couple years older than me, but we worked together for 15 years. And we talked about it a whole lot. And he said, that's what he said, Jackson, I just want to tell you, he said, he said, that's what I call the two before moment. He said, that's the point where God has, Said, has been gently talking to you, trying to get you to do, to get you back to where you needed to be, and you wouldn't listen. So finally, he just had to 
hit you upside the head with a two before. This was your two before moment. That was my two before moment. Damn. And I said, yeah, you know, that's that. I said, it'd be hard not to, you know, right? Yeah. Like it's it's hard not to have that in that moment, just smacked upside your head. I mean, my God. Yeah. I felt like the whole world had fell on top of me. And then, you know, he says this and it was like, and I remember I looked at him. I said, you know, I said, you're right. You're right. And I won't say that a piece fell over me right then, but a little bit of clarity fell over me right then. But it was like, I know what I have to do. I know what I have to do. And, you know, it, it, it may have been in a time of duress and stress, but it, it, God's timing is perfect. And uh, one thing I want to touch on, one thing that's close to my heart, a lot of people probably, it probably gets made fun of and mocked a whole lot. But my, I'm a big fan and a big supporter of, of the Gideon ministry. Um, the Gideons are the ones uh, that place the Bibles in places like hotels, hospitals, uh, you know, they used to come around to schools before they got, and, and that's neither here nor there, but they used to come to schools, uh, hand out those little testaments, you know, you've seen them. Yep. I'm sure. Yep. Yep. Um, let me tell you something that, that Gideon Bible was my anchor. It was my, uh, it was my anchor in that moment. I knew where I had, I knew what I had to do and I knew where I had to go and I knew where I had to look to find it. Now, granted, I had already made my profession of faith and my, my salvation was secure, but that doesn't mean that, uh, you know, disobedience is still not going to be chastised. Right. Uh, God does it like, like a parent would correct a child or a discipline a child. However you define that. We do it out of love and concern because we don't want to see them get hurt or we we want the, the behavior to we do that to 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 curb the behavior. And God uses that, too. But I can tell you right now, he doesn't do it because he likes punishing people. He does it because he, he does it because he loves us. Right. And he wants what's best for us. And I was suffering through that right now because God was telling me, I love you, son, and I want I need you. I need you back over here. You're you're way over here, and I need you here because, you know, you're, you're just going down the wrong road. And uh, that Gideon Bible there, and that stand by that by that by that hospital bed, was my anchor for the next few next several days. Um, and I never will forget it. I'll never forget it. I forget a lot of things about what a lot of what happened during that time because a lot of it was a fog. But I'll never forget it. I, I, the, I opened that and I, I had no particular scripture in mind. I don't know. You've probably heard stories like this before. I had no particular scripture in mind. I just opened up that that Gideon Bible. And it came right to the story of the prodigal son. Come on now. There it is. And uh, that's when I knew, and I'd never, I'd never prayed so hard in my life for anything. 
But the funny thing about it was, I guess it's funny. I don't know. I think about it now. For a lot of people, it might be. But my prayer wasn't for. My prayer was for God's will to be done. Because I, I, I knew his will was perfect. And I, and I, I remember <clears throat> praying because I didn't know what to do. <laughs> I didn't know what I was going to do. I, I asked for God's forgiveness for all the things that I had not done. For turning my back on him and walking away. For not paying attention. Uh, for my, just for lack of a better word, for my disobedience and, and my lack of uh, service. And uh, it, at that moment, you know, when I asked for that forgiveness, it was just like a warm blanket that fell over me. And I also prayed over those days because I had no idea what was going to happen. And uh, my wife's, her life was not, nothing was certain at this point. And uh, I just remember, and, and, and I don't do this. I've, I've only done this once in my entire Christian walk and I don't recommend it for anyone because it's some dangerous ground to walk on but I made a vow to God that, that during that time and I was and it wasn't if you it, it wasn't a bargaining it wasn't if you save my wife I do this I said God just whatever your will is whatever happens however this turns out I promise you this that that I that my family will be in your house serving. Man, that's the you know, spot. That's and the I, spot I did, right there, man. That's I, that I, place. Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't. I, I wanted him to save her, but I didn't. I, I I I didn't use it as a bargaining. If you do this, I'll do this. It was a. I I I need my wife. I need her in my life. My my sons need her. And and I you know, I, I want I want her healed and I want her restored. But if that doesn't happen, regardless if that happens, regardless if that happens or not, I promise you that we'll be in your house. However, it turns out, we're going to be in your house and we're going to be serving you. And I'm proud to say that I never broke that promise. Um. I want to jump through a few things and I'll come back to them. But after that time, I, you know, I've seen my household secure now. Uh, and all of it before my twins just turned 20. That's how this all came about. I got to thinking about it's been 20 years since all this transpired and how far we've come. Um, you know, before my sons were even, uh, my twins were even out of high school, they had made their, they had made their profession of faith and put their trust in Christ. My oldest son has done it. My oldest son is a song leader and worship service, worship leader at the church. And he has been, he's 25 years old and he has been since he was 13. <laughs> right on, you know, my, my, my others, they teach, they help with vacation Bible school. Uh, they, they, they help with work around the church. They're serving. Uh, we, we go down to the mission in, in the local town uh, uh, once a quarter and we help. We serve food and they have a class time down there and we serve the kids, you know, their supper. And those kids, that may be the only good meal that they get in a day's time. We go down there and they, the boys go down there and help with that. And I've not broken that 
I, I've done, I did my part on that. I fulfilled that. Um, it's beautiful, man. But beautiful. So Saturday comes now I'm back to my time, back to our time in Vanderbilt. Saturday comes <clears throat> and I'm, I've been praying. I've been, I've not left the room except to maybe eat once a day. I've not left her side during this entire time. And, uh, but everywhere I did go, I had that, I had that Gideon Bible under my arm. And, uh, by that Saturday, she started, she wasn't out of the woods, but she started making improvement. Mm. And she didn't have to go on the dialysis. Now she wasn't out of the, she wasn't out of the, out of trouble, but by the weekend she was starting to turn the corner. And, uh, she had a lot of tests and a lot of scans run and different things. And I'll, I'll tell a little bit of her now. Remember, she's not saved. She's not made a profession of faith. She's, she's not a believer. And she told me, and this was, this was a couple of weeks after she came home. And this is actually before, this is between the time we all got home and the time we started going back to church, which was in November of 2001. So it was during during this time, during October. Uh, she told me, she said, they had me out in the hallway in the bed and I was out there and I was waiting on getting, I can't, can't remember what scan or test that it was. I can't remember what she said. And she barely remembers. But she said there was nobody in the hallway. They left me out there in the hallway. And she said, I heard a voice. Now, this is a lot of people would. I believe it. And it wasn't an inner monologue voice. She said it. She said, because I, I looked at her and she said, it wasn't it's coming from my head. She said it wasn't a, a, a you know, she said it was a it was a, a somebody's a stranger's voice. Beside of me, kind of up behind me, up behind my head, beside of me. That said, she said, because I was so tired and I was so exhausted and all I wanted to do was sleep. And like I said, she wasn't out of the woods yet. And the voice said, if you close your eyes, you'll die. If you close your eyes, you'll die. And, you know, it's when she started telling it, it was just chills run all over me. And, uh, so I, we went through all that and she made the turn. So I've got all this going on. So I have one twin that's not, he's, he's healthy, but he's kind of not doing well. And he's not really gaining weight. I have one that started gaining weight and he just took off and never slowed down. And he still hasn't slowed down. Um, so about, but Monday or Tuesday of the following week, we've been there a week, just about. And a, a lady from, uh, I guess she was probably a uh, human resources. Uh, she's another one. I wish I could knew her name. She came in and she said, "Well, Mr. Clark," she said, "We've got, uh, we've got a little bit of an issue." She said, uh, 
one of your sons is healthy, just ready to go, and and they are wanting to dismiss him and send him home. <laughs> uh huh. And I am like, I have got a wife that's not she's she's recovering, but she's not well by any stretch of the imagination, and it's still touch and go. Right. And I don't know when she, I don't know what's going to happen with her. And then I've got one that I got one. I got a four year old son at home that was staying with my parents. And I've got one that's still in NICU and, you know, they've taken and they've taken the, the healthy one and they put him in a regular nursery and, you know, the insurance is going to stop paying and they want to, they want to discharge him. And, and I just, I just, I broke down. And I said, I said, and I was saying it to myself more than I was to her. It was more of me just speaking out loud. And I'm like, I can't do this. I can't, I can't do this. I said, I, I told her, I said, I don't have anybody, uh, you know, I don't have anybody at home really that's, that, that's equipped to take care of a newborn. I said, my mother, you know, my mom and dad are taking care of our four-year-old son. And I said, I need to be here and I can't be there. I said, I, I can't, I can't do, I can't do this. Yeah. And uh, so as she could tell and she could just tell the look on my face, I was I was all to the point of being distraught. And just when you think you're about to, you know, round the corner, here comes something else. Here comes another ton of bricks. Not that this was a bad thing because, you know, my son was healthy and everything was good. But I was trying to figure out how I was going to juggle all this. man, <coughs> And. She, she just looked at me. She said, she said, let me see what I can do. Let me see what I can do. Now, I don't know what she did. I don't know how, I don't know what she manipulated, what she did. But uh, two weeks after my twins were born, they went home together. Because um, I said, they're going home together. And they went home together. My, my mother and I, by this point in time, I'd rounded up enough help here in the community. People found out what was going on. Had a lot of people step forward and step up. I had people, you know, bringing stuff to the house. Uh, had a lot of folks that, that come in and, and were calling and wanting to help. And so my mom and I brought my twins home from Vanderbilt without their mother. Uh, she still hadn't recovered yet when they were ready to come home. So now I'm driving from where we live to Vanderbilt every day. Uh, my wife comes home a week after they did. And she walked from my V, she walked into the house. I still smile when I think about it. God is good, man. All, my, all, all the time, brother. I'm telling you, almost just not quite a month before, I wasn't for sure if she was ever going to leave the hospital. And my wife, three weeks later, walked into the house and she finally got to meet her twins. She finally got to meet her sons, you know, after after almost a month. She had hardly even seen them. And even the time she seen them, she was hardly conscious to even acknowledge they were there. Right. Man. And Man. so. Yes. And so. November, you know, we were back in church and and by the spring of 2002 my wife's being baptized 
<laughs> right on. And uh, it's such a great feeling. And like I said, all my all my sons, her, uh, my house is secure. I, I I look back on it now, and I'm like, it, it, I did uh, everything that we went through. I, there was a purpose in it. And the purpose is, is where we sit right now. I, I, we talked earlier before we started the show. My wife was not a nurse at the time. <clears throat> she worked when, when, when we went to the hospital, she was working for the post office in an encoding center and working at night. And it was not long after she got recovered. And it was like that next year, uh, maybe in 2003. She was she she wanted to go into nursing. And uh, she wanted to be a labor and delivery nurse. That was her purpose. And that's what she figured out. That's what she wanted to do. She and she said, if I can, <clears throat> she said, if I can save one mother from going through what I went through, if I can save one life, if I can save one child, if I can then it's all worth it. And uh, she has been doing it uh, for 15 years now. Uh, she has her bachelor's degree. And uh, I, we have a drawer full of cards, thank you cards, Christmas cards, from patients that she's handled over the years. And she's so lucky to know what her purpose in life is. And, you know, even all the things that we went through and all the things that happened in the, in the life that, that, you know, she has lived because, you know, they came from, I mean, she was, they were dirt floor poor in Alabama. I mean, her daddy drove a truck and hauled pulp wood to the chipping mill, you know, I mean, just typical. They had one vehicle. I mean, her mother didn't even have a driver's license when they moved up here, uh, you know, because they, they didn't, she didn't need it but it, because they couldn't afford it. one vehicle. They didn't have nothing but an old car and his truck sitting in the driveway. You know, they lived in a couple of uh, family houses and they lived in a mobile home down there that didn't have anything. And then she lost her dad and went through all this. And then she's had to deal with me. And but she knows what she's supposed to be doing. She's blessed. So, um, me, I'm still, still just pretty much as useless as I've ever been. But uh, oh, get out of here, man! <laughs> she knows what she's. She's. I, I tell her all the time, man. I tell her all the time. I'm like, you're so fortunate and so blessed to know what your, what your, what your purpose in life is. I'm 49 years old and I have no idea what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm just, I'm just jumping from one spot to the other. Well, you're you know, doing but, it though. But, I mean, that's the thing, man. I mean, you just told me a story about you standing on that solid ground when nobody else around you really was. You know, I mean, like you, yeah, you stared into the abyss and you know, you found that spot where you mean there is nothing else to call upon but that higher power, and you did that. And I mean, look at your family, yeah. man, how they're thriving, you know, like it 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 takes equal work. I mean, like you talked about, you know, it's an equal yoke, but brother. It yeah. sounds like you found your purpose and you've done it well, you know? <laughs> well, <clears throat> you know, we've, we've, uh, we've served, we've, 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 we've made a clear, we try to try to serve, uh, as much as we can. 
not for our benefit, uh, not for our glory, but for God's glory. You know, I want people to have what I've got. I want people to have what I've got. I, I, I want, you know, I want people to have what my family has. I, I want them to have that security, that peace of mind. You know, I, I hear it all the time. Some people are like, how can you stay so, I won't say optimistic or upbeat, but how can you stay so calm when, the, you know, all the things that are going on? And, and sometimes, I, yeah, sometimes I have a freak out. Sometimes I have a black pill moment. You're absolutely right. If somebody thinks that, that's that I do have those. And if you don't, you're not human. Right. Uh, but but I have had people it's like you can be so how are you so calm with everything going on? You know, you look at this world and I'm like, I know the ending. Yeah, <laughs> I know yeah. how all this ends. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I know the ending. Well, I don't care if you think that's crazy or not. Anybody that's listening, I don't care if you think that's crazy or not. I know the ending and I know the author personally. I know who wrote it and I know who wins in the end. And you know what? I march under that banner. I'm not going to win every battle. We're not going to win every battle. We're losing battles daily. But you know what? My spiritual war won. I, I'm, I have all the utmost confidence. If I don't make it through the night tonight, I know where I'm going to be. And it's going to be the best family reunion that I've ever been to in my life. I promise you. I, I, there's almost a part of me that's looking forward to it. A big yeah. part of me. Um, so you know that's kind of it. We we've uh, like I said we we've we've ended up where we're at right now. We we went through some things. I, I, I've got another a little tidbit there. We I talked about my finances. Uh, you know we we by two thousand and three we were filing for bankruptcy, and it wasn't because of hospital bills. My insurance paid for everything almost one hundred percent. We were out just very little pocket money on all this. And I'm talking about almost $200,000 worth of doctor bills and hospital bills for 19 for 2001. And my, you know, I was out like, I, it was less than $2,000 out of pocket. And you so, you, go, you know, buddy. we had all that, but you know, we had some, we had some financial issues because, because of her work and because of my bad spending habits. And so we filed for bankruptcy in 2003. And uh, we we sold the house that we'd built, um, defaulted on a bunch of stuff. I, I ended up being a bigger black sheep of my family than I already was because, you know, that was just one of those things, that, you know, that was just one of those black smudges that unfortunately a lot of people get from their family because, you know, well, you couldn't manage, you can't manage your house. You can't, you know, that's a long story. That's a story for another time. My dad's family's terrible about that. My dad, not so much was, but his family were, yeah, I got stories, not necessarily on me, but about some of their great people, but they were very stern and very reserved and very, you, you mind your, you know, you mind your house and your business and you keep your eye on those things. And, and then they were, you know, you drop the ball. So uh, anyway, we ended up renting a house, really a place that we couldn't afford, but it was kind of the only thing that was available. And it was on a guy's farm over there. And, and after work, I, I would go to work at and start work at six o'clock in the morning at my job and work till three thirty. And then I would leave from there and I would go uh, helping this guy with his farm, whether it was cutting hay or working cows or so end up working every day until dark 
and then come home and work until midnight on whatever there at the house that need to be done. Starter need to be put on the car. You know, brakes need to be put on this truck. Had a tractor that, you know, needed this or that. And that was tractors that I didn't collect. That was stuff that I was actually working with trying to make money. Right. And we were scratching. We were scratching by. She was going to school. You know, we, we, she was going to school, part, you know, a few days a week, uh, getting some of the prerequisite stuff out of the way. She had already had a whole lot of it, but um, getting some of that out of the way. And, and then she was working at the hospital at Sterile Supply, you know, part time. So we were scratching, man. You know, we were digging. We were scratching. It was hand to mouth. It was uh, even to make rent. You know, it, it got to where, you know, uh, even the littlest things were like a big deal. You know, uh, starter went out on the car. I mean, it was like that was a, that was a big deal. I, yeah, I, there man. was a lot of days. There was a lot of weeks, man, that I didn't know if I was going to have enough money. To even I didn't know where my gas money was going to come from. Yeah, brother. OK, yeah. you know. There was a lot of people that stepped up, though. There's a lot of people that stepped up and helped us. You know, I, I talked about some of that, you know, when the twins came home, you know, people in the community that brought, you know, brought supplies. Um, a lady that uh, that that watched me when I was little because uh, my mom worked. And my dad both worked. And when we lived in town and this lady that they, they, her and her husband were like a second set of parents and. And they came down, you know, and they helped mom. Uh, you know, this is while my wife is still in the hospital now. I'm backing up. I'm, I'm like I said, I'm chasing rabbits right now. Um, but, you know, I had a lot of folks that stepped up and helped. Well, I, I told you about this little store that was down here on the corner that a lot of us used to hang out at and, you know, get a stop there and get gas or, you know, get some lunch or whatever. And the, the lady that, that, that owned it, uh, we had grown up together. She was a little older than my wife and I. Her sister was actually, we went. We were in the same grade with her sister. Her and her husband owned the store there. And uh, she would sell me gas on credit. Oh, right on. <laughs> every, you know, every, uh, she just offered. She's like, hey, you know, just, because I'm like, well, I don't have enough for this and gas, so I'm just going to have to get the gas. And, uh, so, uh, she was like, she, she, she set it up and it, it, she got paid every dime, every, every week, every, whenever I could, she got paid. I, I didn't neglect that. And I'm, I tell her that all the time. She doesn't have that store anymore. It's closed now. But every time I see her, I thank her. I'm like, I'm like, honey, you, you don't even realize that we, you know, we would, I could, I didn't even, I didn't have any idea. I had a clue every week, how, you know, whether how I was going to pay for gas to even drive to work. Right. Um, yes, pe people and, you know, you helped me man. through That's it. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So we were renting this house over there. We were barely just getting by. I mean, it was a struggle. And now here's event number two. This is cool. You're going to like this. So I won't say that I was at the end of my rope, but we were all very strained. And uh, my wife's, my mother-in-law's sister, my wife's aunt, <clears throat> she calls me one day, calls me. Now, I, we're not, it's my wife's aunt. She ever wants to talk. I'm like, well, you know, it was kind of unusual. She called me. And. She said, of course, she had been married. This lady had been married, and then her husband had passed, and she had gotten remarried. 
and her and her new husband had bought a place in Florida. And she called and she said, she said, you know, she said, you and, and Carrie have, have, you know, crossed my mind. She said, uh, I don't know why she said, but I just happened to think about it. If you all could use it. She said, we've got this house over here. I've got a house over here that nobody's living in. And now nobody, as far as I know, has ever said anything to ever said anything to her about, we didn't talk about it with other people, how we were struggling. We just, that just wasn't something that we did. Right. And I don't know how, but she said, you, you all crossed my mind. And I got to thinking, I've got this house over here that nobody's in it. And I'm like, yes, of course it was a little, you know, it's a little farther away than where we were at farther away from my work, farther away from school, a little, little bit farther out of pocket. But she said, and I was waiting for, you know, the rent waiting for whatever. She said, I got to thinking, she said, if you all will pay the insurance on that every year and pay the property taxes, she said, y'all can live there as long as you want. What? Yes. What? Yes. Brother. Wow. There's, there's, in my life, that was miracle number two, because we were both at our wits end as far as working, stressed out, trying to raise three sons, trying to keep them clothed, trying to keep enough food, you know, trying to keep enough fuel, trying to keep everything running. Uh, there was a lot of, uh, Hey, there was a lot of, there was a lot of times after everything was paid and I, I looked at my, I looked at my checking account and I went, man, I got $75 left. <laughs> this, is a good, this is a, this is a good week. This is a yeah, good man. week. I got $75 left. So I was like, I don't, she's like, if you want to take time and talk to Carrie, you know, and, and, uh, you know, y'all discuss it. I said, we don't have to discuss it. I said, I can tell you right now, she'll be all about it. And I said, we'll do it. I said, I can just tell you right now, we'll do it. And uh, Carrie came in later on and I told her and she just broke down. She started crying. She said, I've been praying for something like this. She says, you don't even understand. I was like, well, how did Joyce know? How did your aunt know? She's like, I have no idea. She said, I haven't talked to him. She said, I hadn't told mom or anything about anything that we're dealing with. Wow. She's like, is that no, odd? she said, I don't Is that, I, is that I, odd or is that God? You know, that's, that's God. That's benevolence is what that is. <laughs> so we lived there for four years. We got her through school. We got to recovering and uh, we lived there for four years and uh, through a little finagling, a little financial finagling and some things we were able to, uh, you know, set up where we're at right now. Uh, the property that we bought, we bought it off of a relative of hers. Like I said, this farm is right next door or this, our place is right next door to the farm where my mother-in-law grew up. So my wife's uncle had purchased this two and a half acres right here. And, uh, he, he was getting older and he approached me one day and, uh, once again, he approached me and I didn't ask. I, he just, I was, I stopped and helped him do something and, uh, on the way home from work and, he said, uh, would you, you and Carrie be will want be interested in, in buying that two and a half acres? And I'm like, well, you know, we can't really afford too much. He said, I'll make it where you can afford it. He said, do you want it? And I said, 
yeah, I think we'll be interested. And we bought this two and a half acres for like $5,000. Man. Um, yeah. And uh, he Man. sold it to us. He sold it to us. Uh, that's what he kind of, that's kind of what he gave for it when he bought it. Uh, and that was in the nineties. And, uh, Hey, you know, we were able to get that free and clear and we were able to use that as a down payment on what we've got set up here and everything just started clicking and falling into place. It's not that we haven't had our hiccups and we hadn't had our problems. Uh, we're all going to have that, but, uh, it, it, it's just, it's just all kind of everything you know, it's fell into place. And, uh, I, 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 I give God all the glory for it, man. I, I, there's not, Hey, there's not one bit of it that came from my ability. Well, I here, just tell here's you, what I'll I, say. I, here, there's some things I picked up in this world and I'll tell you right now, God will do for us what we can't do for ourselves, but God will not do for us what we can do for ourselves. Yeah. You know, he gives us something he gives. beautiful, but you've also taken, you've, you've participated in that, man. Yeah. Well, he get every, every, look, any gifts that I have, any talents that I have that I've used, that he's used through me, you yeah. know, it's come from him, come from him. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, I give him all the credit and all the glory for it. I can look back now and go, yep, that's, that's, that's the reason why, you know, this is why, and look at how this turned out. And I can see how God has worked in my wife, the life of my wife and my parents and my children. It's, it's been an amazing thing to look at. And, and, you know, my, even my parents, and I don't want to, you know, I don't know how much time we got left or how far you want to go, how long you want to go. But good, man. a little back, a little more background now that I've got that out and I didn't butcher it up too bad. <laughs> no, a little bit, a little bit of my, a little bit of my background personally, as far as my upbringing. Uh, but like I said, both my parents were raised in the county that we live in. My dad was raised and his family. Some of his family still owns the farm. Uh, that. Uh, that he was raised on now they built a new house and stuff but one of his cousins bought it in the 80s and and it, it's 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 home it's you know it's home we every when we lived in town when i was a kid every weekend we would be, uh, saturday i would be with my dad at his family's place and on sunday i would be with my mom at my grandparents the only pair the only set of grandparents i ever knew both my dad's parents were gone by the time i came along so you know, I was either there or there. So I was one of those split guys that I lived in the suburbs or just right outside of town. And at that point in time, it wasn't a big city. It's not a big city now, but it was even smaller then. But we lived out, you know, in a little subdivision out there and it was kind of still in the country. You could ride one block on your bicycle and you could see cows and bean fields. And so, you know, I wasn't, ignorant of those things i i was you know exposed to those things every week um but we lived we, we ended up back here but they were both raised here my mom was raised about 10 miles from where we live and uh so we ended up back here because this is home to them you know uh and my dad's my, my dad's grandparents raised him um this is this is this is another thing that's going to raise chill bumps on you 
my dad's mother died. She passed a week after my dad was born. Ooh. He was an in, he was an infant. Wow. Um, and we got to asking some of the my dad's aunts, my grandmother's sisters, who were there. My wife was like, "What what happened to Marie? What happened to Dale's wife? What what?" And I never will forget my aunt Esther, who's still alive. I just I just saw her like two weeks ago. Uh, her son brought her up. She's she lives in Georgia now with him. But I remember or she said, honey, she said, I don't know what it was. She said she just swelled up, turned yellow and died. Oh, wow. Now, remember. Yeah. yeah. My wife retained water and swelled up and because her it turned yellow because her liver was not functioning properly and her kidneys weren't functioning properly. And my wife looked wow. at me and her jaw was drained down and I was like. Wow. I don't even know the dad in that. You know, he didn't hear it, but I, I, I but, uh, you know, I've never gotten, I've never asked. Right. So it's one of those things is like, oh my gosh, this is almost like history repeating itself, except yeah. we missed it. We missed it. We dodged it. We, God brought us through it. I never will forget. And I'm going to tell this. My dad was, my dad was very reserved. My dad was a fun guy. Uh, my dad knew how to have a good time, but he was also, you know, raised in a very stern, conservative background. And he was the rebellious one of the bunch. Uh, he didn't catch a lot. You know, he caught a lot. He, he gave him a lot of grief because he was very independent. And uh, he didn't go along with the collective. And I think that's where a lot of my resistance gene comes from is from him. He liked to. He liked to. uh it's not that he didn't think stuff was a good idea or maybe good for him, but he just didn't do it because you wanted him to do it. You know? Right. <laughs> was, right. You know, like I am with vaccines. It's just like, it's not that I don't think maybe vaccines aren't such a bad idea, but you know what? I don't want I don't want it just because mm. you want me to have it. I don't want it. <laughs> that, that was that, That's him. That's him. So, but I'll never forget it. My dad was not, my dad was, a. Yeah, he he was a loving father. I don't. I didn't have a bad relationship with my dad. My my relationship with my dad was good. I mean, we had our moments. I mean, I was a teenager once, and I realize now that the older I get, the smarter my dad is. Um, but uh, I never will forget. My my dad is not a wasn't a much of a emotional person, or even much of a of a hugger or a touchy feely type person. Except he was toward me and my mother, but not really towards others, you know. And I never will forget. I never forget that first evening when when uh, when we got home, when Carrie got home and she walked in that house. Mom and dad came up or dad came up. Mom was already there uh, helping with the boys. And my dad came in and he went right straight to where my wife was sitting. And he got down on his knees. And he put his arms around her and he was crying and he said, I thought, I thought we'd lost you, girl. I thought we'd lost you. Oh man. And you know, looking back on it, I think a lot of things that my dad went through in his life had more of an effect on him than he ever let on. Now, now, 
another interesting part of the story. Dad's grandparents, he's born in 1950. His mother passes away a week, a week or so after he's born. His father, of course, this is 1950. Now he's a, he's a, he's a widower with a newborn son. He doesn't have any people here. I mean, my, my grandfather was, his father was from Tennessee originally in Tennessee, Kentucky, kind of that area north of Nashville, Sumner County, Robertson County, and, 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 and Simpson County, Kentucky, and Robertson and, 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 uh, Robertson County and, uh, Tennessee, you know, right on that border. But that, although all those people were gone, his, 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 his father passed away. His mother remarried. They were living in California with one of his brothers that stayed out there after the service, World War II. He didn't have anybody to take care of a newborn child. So he thought it was best to, that the grandparents raised him. And that's how dad ended up where he was at. Uh, him and my mother got together in high school and he, they married in 1969. Um, dad was drafted, but he couldn't pass a physical because of some childhood ailments that he'd had. And, and uh, I think that was one thing that he always kind of, he knew a lot of guys that went and got called up and even those that, that volunteered. And I think that was one thing that always kind of left a hole in him uh, a little bit. But uh, I was born in 72, and then about 1974, I told you about the lady and her husband that used to, the lady that used to watch me while my mother was at work, and my mom would come and pick me up. Well, my mom come to pick me up at her house, at this lady's house, and it was about 1974, 75, somewhere around in there. And uh, my mother collapsed out in the out in this out in the front yard. And oh. the, the lady, she told me the story. I, we're still in, I mean, they were just down here not too long ago getting some vegetables from us, her and her husband, and they're in their upper 70s. But she's told me this story many times. She said, you were running around out there in the yard, and your mom was going after you. And she said, she said she just collapsed. She said, well, we didn't know what it was. So she, she said, we called your dad. He came right straight from work, and, and they picked her up and brought her in on, on the couch. And they couldn't revive her. They couldn't wake her up. They couldn't do all these things. She was still breathing something had happened she couldn't move and she said honey she said if we'd have known what was going on we'd have called an ambulance sooner she said she probably laid there for 30 minutes before we called an ambulance my mother was 24 or 25 years old and she had a stroke a massive Man, stroke young. that is young yes it's young yes it was young and she had a massive if she would have been in her 30s or 40s she probably would have died uh, but her being so young, she did survive it, but it was a, through a lot of, a lot of, uh, it took a lot of time that, that, that much damage that was done. You know, she had to, my mom had to learn how to walk again and talk again, um, had to learn how to, you know, write again and communicate. She lost the use of her right hand. Uh, it, it, and she never regained use of it. She still doesn't have use of it to this day. So she had to learn how to right with her left hand she had to do all these things now now think about this my dad sat in the hospital next to his wife not knowing whether she was going to live or whether she's going to come home or not mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. i think what we went through had a very profound impact on my dad uh, because if there was anybody in this world that knew what I, the weight that I 
had dumped on me and that we had dumped on us and it was him. Yeah. And uh, definite identification. He yes. In that situation. And, 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 you know, that all came to a head when he came in and, and he put his arms around my wife that he was on both knees in the floor right in front of her. It put his arms around her waist. It was just crying. And he said, we, I thought, I thought we'd lost you. And I think about that and I'm like, I bet all those feelings and emotions came over him all at once. Uh, because he had been through a similar thing with my mom and, uh, about her, uh, you know, she was working and he was working and, and then after that she couldn't work. I mean, she never considered herself disabled and she would get offended if you even mentioned that. Now that's just the type of cut that she is very independent, uh, uh, very, her work ethic, very strong and, but she got to stay home now. And, uh, she was a very good money manager had to be, you know, we weren't poor, uh, growing up. I didn't think I was, I didn't, I, I don't know. Some people are like, Oh, well, you're the only child. Well, the reason I'm the only child is because my mom couldn't have any more kids because of the stroke. So I don't remember ever going without anything that I needed. I didn't always get everything that I wanted, which was good. Uh, but I don't ever remember going without anything that I ever needed. And my dad told me one time, he said, you know, I, we wouldn't have had anything if it hadn't been for your mom. If it hadn't been for her, you know, her managing the books and taking care of things, uh, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have had anything. He said, because I would have just spent every dime, which is very reflective of <laughs> the way I was. Yeah. And, uh, you know, um, so we're serving now. I want to fast forward back to after the twins were born and after we're back in church about 2005, 2006, I was ordained a deacon in our church. Now I, I don't always act like a deacon. I don't always talk like a deacon and those are my faults. And I admit them. That's what makes and, you a good anybody, deacon though, man. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I, I, I have a, I tried to identify with Peter because Peter was a very, he was a very blunt and very, uh, thunderous individual and was give, given to rants and fits of anger sometimes. Uh -huh. So, uh, but anyway, I, I, the day that I was ordained, my mom came to me, my dad was there, but my mom came to me and she said, you know, she said, after everything was said and done, she said, after I had my stroke and while I was recovering, she said, I remember asking a lot, asking God why I was, having suffered having made why why he was making me suffer through this why this happened which is normal which we all do yep I, I, you know i've asked a lot i've asked that a lot i don't think god shuns i don't think he i don't think he looks down upon us for asking questions at all i i don't i don't think that he does uh you know why it, it, we may not know the answer right away we may not know it for years he may give us the answer right then and then, and then again, it may take 30 years, 20 years, but then you see it. My mom came to me after, during that, after that ordination service. And she said, I, I always, I questioned when I had the stroke and when I was recovering, why I asked God, why? 
you know, why am I having to go through this? Why are you putting me through this? Why are you putting my family through this? And she said today, she said, I know why. She said, I know why. She said, it's because of this. You know, I had the family there in the church and my wife was saved. And, and, and by that point, Jacob, my oldest, was, had made his profession of faith. And she said, I was going down the wrong road. And she said, if I would have kept going the way we were going, she said, I wouldn't have got to spend so much time with you and uh, take care of home the way that we way that need to be taken care of. And we wouldn't be here right now. And she said, that's why, you know, mm. and, and it, it came to her, you know, in that moment. And, uh, you know, it's just, uh, it's amazing how God works. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's amazing it is, how man. God works and you can draw so many parallels to it, but, uh, but yeah, uh, that's, that's, that's it. That's oh. the deal, man. Here's the, and here's the other part of it, right? <clears throat> yeah. I hear this around the rooms of recovery myself is that, you know, religion is for people who are afraid of hell. Spirituality is for people who've gone through it, you know, and that's not knocking one or the other. Like, no, you know, I, I know. And I totally agree place. with that. And I kind of look at it like this, you know, I'll take it a step further in that religion is the driving manual. Spirituality is driving the car. Yes. You know, it's actually yes. getting behind the wheel. And yes, a, a lot of those situations I went through, you know, it, it had a profound impact on me in the time. But you talked about that initial jumping off point. I want to kind of loop back around to this because I found identification in it myself. Um, when you're, when you were sitting in the hospital and everything is just falling down around you and you're at that point of desperation, mine's a little different, you know, cause I was waiting to see a yeah. judge, but I found that same spot and things worked out, you know, but it was, and it was probably the first time in my life I'd ever prayed. And instead of praying for a specific outcome, I just said, you know what? Your will be done. Yeah. You're in charge. You're in charge. However it go, however it goes, you're in charge. Yeah, I'm following. Yeah. I'm following you. I'm following your lead now. Wherever and you know, just because you know we're still going to make mistakes. We're right. still going to. There's never been. There was only one perfect man that was ever born, and we're and God knows this. And you know, we have to. There are times that we'll have to suffer consequences for our choices. Oh, absolutely. good and bad. I tell people that, too. I always follow it up. I'm like, good and bad, good and bad. There's always consequences to decisions. And we have to go through those things, but we don't have to go through those things alone. Right. I, I don't go through them alone anymore. I look at everything that's going around in the world right now, and I wake up every morning and I tell my Sunday school class this because I'm a Sunday school teacher, too. I know it's a big surprise, but. I tell my Sunday school class and I teach the senior adults cause I identify with them more than I do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my mom's, you know, my mom's people that are my mom's age and, you know, a little younger. And, and, uh, I'm like, I, you know, I get up every morning and I say it out loud every morning when I, when I get up, when I'm making my way to get ready, I'm like, you know, I, I, God is in control. God is in control. 
whatever this day, whatever comes this day, God is in control. That's and it, sometimes, sometimes it's difficult to keep that at the forefront of your mind with everything that's going on. And like I said, we all have our, we all have our black pill moments. We all have our moments where it's like, oh gosh, I'm just ready to give up. I'm just ready to scream. But then I have to bring myself back around to none of this catch. None of this has caught God by surprise. No, it, there's not one thing that's happening. That's like, he's like, whoops, wait a minute. That wasn't supposed to happen. I, I, I find peace and solace in that. Now, you know, however someone believes, that's how they believe. And I don't I don't hack on anyone for their beliefs. And and I expect the same respect. Uh, but I, I, I'm a very live and let live individual. I get that from my dad. My dad was a mind your own business and I'll mind mine. And I'm kind of the same way. But yeah. if someone asks me, if someone asks me on a personal level. I, I, I'll give my opinions. Now, that's not a judgment. That's not a. But it's my beliefs. Now, I don't have the right to force that upon anyone. But if you if you have questions, I'll be happy to try to guide you through some things. And it's not force. That's just me, because me loving those individuals. It, it, and wanting them to have what I have. Uh, it should be every Christian's desire to see other people come to God. Right. I, it, it, you know, I, However that that is, I, you know, I, I tell people all the time, I'm like, whether you believe or not, if there, there's there's still things in the Bible and in Scripture that are very good for instruction, whether you're whether you're a believer or not. And and then we just have to let God's word work. I just have to tell people my job, our job as Christians is to share the gospel with others. And we have to leave the results up to God. I'm not going to beat yeah. myself up if somebody doesn't accept it. I, I have to shake the dust off my sandals and move on. Uh, and and not passing. And I don't. And it's not. And it's not. You know, being judgmental. It's just. Well, I don't. You know, God's led me here. I've done what He's asked me to do, and I have to leave the harvest to Him. I, I have. No, I can't. I can't control that. All I can do is plant seeds. That's it. Uh, so, but yes, yes, your religion and spirituality, yes. And and a lot of people are down on religion. I even get down on religion. I even go toe-to-toe and head-to-head sometimes with a lot of folks, you know, in our church body. I try to get them to, to, to look at things from a different point of view because, you know, Southern Baptists are, uh, they're notoriously uh, very, very stiff. Yeah, so, yeah, they are. Uh, you yes, know, I, I, I was I was brought up in that, but I have enough of my dad in me to look around and go, well, now, wait a minute. Yeah, I, I, I you know, I, there's there's some things there. You show me scripturally where this is and where that is. I'll show you scripturally where it says we're to love. We're to love people like Jesus loved us. Right. There it is. You know. Yeah, that's the charge. right and there, then, man. That's the charge, you know. I, that's that's it. And every every and I believe that mankind is a is a unique creation, and everyone has value. Everyone has value, whether it's the whether it's the 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 newly conceived fetus, all the way to the individual that's in the nursing home, because they're unique 
in God's creation. Uh, we are unique and we all have value. Uh, we just do. <laughs> I have I have other stories about that, but we're probably running pretty close to uh, a, a real good one. There was a there's a young I, I can't I can't help it when I get to talking about these things. I see I see I see stuff working and I see I see God working in people's lives. And I can't help but just I want to tell people. Uh, yeah, there's young there's there's a young lady uh, her her mother and her grandmother used to bring her to church. And my wife and I went to school with her mother. Uh, she she was older. She was older than my oldest son uh, by a couple of years. Uh, but she was born with a lot of birth defects. She was born with uh, Down syndrome and some other things. Uh, uh, very, very detrimental birth defects. Uh, her mother was uh, a drug was a drug addict at the time. There was a lot of issues that came along with that when she was pregnant with her. Uh, she got away from all that and after but after her after her daughter after this young lady was born well this young lady wasn't supposed to live past two or three years old and you know it's one of those stories of she's not going to have any quality of life you know she's not going to live that long she's not all you know a lot of these arguments that we hear and i'm i'm gonna i'll get on a, I'll get, i'm gonna get on a, a pro-life kick for just a second because i've witnessed one of these stories she wasn't supposed to heavy quality of life she wasn't supposed to live past two or three years old now she has passed she's no longer with us but she lived to be 27 years old um mm. and when she was in high school her her mother and her grandmother started bringing to church she had some other relatives that were coming to church over there and they started bringing this young lady to church now they have to roll her in a wheelchair uh, sometimes, sometimes she felt like walking and she'd come walking in, but I'm going to tell you something, brother, I get up there and I helped with the worship service and make the announcements and do all the things and kind of helped open up and, and Jacob, uh, my, uh, my son, my oldest son was leading, you know, the songs and different things. And we'd have a choir and there'd be several of us sitting up there in the choir and Mallory would there she would come up there every I would help her up the steps up the riser to go in there to come up into the choir pews every Sunday she wanted to be up there she wanted to be in church she wanted to be with God's people and she may have not understood exactly everything that was going on and maybe not exactly be able to communicate everything but she wanted to be there and a lot of times her family was there because she wanted to be there. They may have not felt like being there, but she wanted to. And it was such a hardship on her to even walk, to even, but she would walk up that riser and come in there and I'd help her up and she would sing and she would be part of the worship service. And it, she was an inspiration. That's beautiful. Man. She was an inspiration to me. I've witnessed it. I saw it. And, and I've told a lot of folks and I said it from the pulpit I, with her sitting there and with her not there. I said, you know, I said, this young lady right here, I said, anybody can look at this young lady. And if you felt like you didn't, if you got up this morning and were like, oh, I was too tired to be here. Oh, well, I just don't feel like being here. I don't feel good. I said, the next Sunday that you feel like that, I said, you think about her. That's it. I said, that's the inspiration that you need to think about. If she, if she has such a desire in her condition and can be here, 
you can, we can be here serving. And uh, like I said, she passed uh, a couple years ago now. And I think she was about 26 or 27, but she had already gone 25 years or so past what the doctors had said she yeah. was supposed to live and no quality of life. life and, yes. And, and no quality of life. And I'm going to tell you something. She brought a lot. She brought a lot. Uh, she brought a lot of inspiration to people. Uh, she was, uh, she was an inspiration to a lot of folks, including me. And, and I've seen it firsthand. So, I don't always buy into the to the fact that, you know, not all lives have value because I believe they do. I've seen it. Um, so anyway, that's uh, I, I've rambled on kind of like long enough. <laughs> going on <laughs> two, I've been talking non stuff for almost two hours. Hey, brother, but, you're uh, good, man. Just, we we covered a lot, a lot of ground. You know, we covered your story. We also covered how you see kind of that thing working in other people's lives, man. And that's, that's what it's all about. You know, that's what keeps us going. Um, yeah, I can, I, I can see what's going like, I can see that higher power working in, and God working in somebody else's life a lot better than I can see him working in my own. Sometimes. I think we always, I think we all, I think that's, I don't think that's uncommon. I, I, I think we get so caught up. I think God uses those moments to remind us. I, I, yeah. I think, yeah. I think He uses yeah. those moments to remind us to go, "Hey, I, you know, I, I need to be more thankful for what I got going on right now. I see what's going on with them, and I know how I see how God's working in their life and how things are turning around. And you know what? I, I just hadn't been very thankful lately. Uh, you know, I, I don't have a. You know, my salvation story, a lot of people give their testimonies about when they came to Christ. And mine's just mine at best is just I just I had that I had that that calling one Sunday and and I, it wasn't even an altar call. I, I We got out. My, my mom and I got out in the car and, and I said, I think I need to talk to someone. I think I need to talk to the pastor. I think I and it wasn't one of those hellfire and brimstone messages. It wasn't one of those. He scared me into it, you know. Like, like a lot of, you know, you hear a lot of that, you know, a lot of preachers that, you know, and I think hell is something that ought to be preached because to me, hell is real. Uh, yeah. it, it, hell is an eternal separation from God. It's an eternity in, in darkness. But uh, it wasn't even that type of message. And it was just a message that spoke to me. And it was the Holy Spirit that was just knocking on my door. It says, hey, you know, it's time. And 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 it you know it 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 wasn't a unusual salvation. It was a pretty common you know it wasn't extraordinary. But what came along afterwards, and 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 that story of the prodigal son and the restoration, you know, I still cry. I still cry. I still tear up when I read the prodigal son because I can feel that father's arms going around me, going falling around my neck. <laughs> I, I felt it. Man. You know, he's he's come. My son's come. My son that was lost has been found. He's he's he. My son that you know, of course, he thought he that father in the story. For all he knew, his son was dead. He hadn't heard anything from him, and now his son was alive, and he was returning. And his son was like, "I I don't. I just want to serve in your house. I don't care if I if it's just being a servant. If it's just being a slave. If it's just being a. I just want to. I just need to be here. And and he fully restored him. And you know, said he you know put his ring on his finger and the robe on him and, and, and fully restored him to his former place. 
And I, I read that and I'm like, I've experienced that. And, you know, that's my real testimony story. Uh, although I had been saved many years before, and I think my mother, every single time I get a chance and I think about it, I, I thanked her. I, I got up and spoke. Uh, our sons, the twins' birthday was on a Sunday this time, their 20th, and I, I spoke a little bit about it. And I tell her every time, and every time on their birthday, I, I thank her in front of everybody. I'm like, I thank you. I thank you for bringing me here. I thank you for making me get up and making me come to church and be part of this part of this church body. It, days when I didn't want to. Days when I didn't feel like it. And I tell, I tell all the ladies out there, it, it, I said, and, and mothers, those mothers of you out there with younger children, don't be ashamed to put the mom guilt on them. I said, because this is life and death. This is yeah. life and death. We're playing for keeps. To me, it there, is. Man. To me, it is. We're playing for keeps. Don't be scared to use the mom guilt on them. I said, because my mom used it on me, and I'm thankful that she did. I'm thankful that she drugged me here a lot of days when I didn't want to be here, because I wouldn't be here right now if she hadn't done that. My family wouldn't be here right now if she hadn't done that. You know, uh, so just so thankful with everything that worked out. And I fail. I fail miserably every day. Uh, I trip and stumble all over myself and uh, probably don't see all the opportunities that's placed before me in a day's time. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, is I try to get up every morning and be a better servant of God than I was the day before. Uh, and through his help, that's the only way I can do it. We can't do it on our own. That's uh, that's what I believe. No, I right there with you, brother. You are speaking truth, speaking truth. And you have a phenomenal story, man. And I can't thank you enough for sitting down and sharing with us. And uh, yeah, that's a powerful testimony, man. And thank you great. for everything you do within not only the community <laughs> there at home, but in our community, you know, I mean, even those little things, yeah. even just you posting a picture of you sitting out by that fire. I can't tell you how many times that reminds me to just calm the hell down and really appreciate the life that we, I have today. Right. We need to enjoy. I, I learned from my dad that it's a lot. My dad was a really simple guy. My, we didn't take a vacation or go anywhere until I was in high school. And that's only because his cousin talked him into it. We didn't go places or do very many things because he was a pretty simple guy. But I, I spent a lot of evenings out in the driveway laying on the hood of the car with my dad looking at stars uh, or sitting around a fire there built in the backyard. We always piled a brush pile in the backyard every year. And I always look forward to that one time a year when we got ready to lift like that brush pile because we could sit out there and not say a word. Just watch the fire and look at the stars and just, you know, even if we talked, it was just, we connected. And, uh, I, we, we, uh, we all need that time to just decompress and, uh, just sit still and listen for that, for that still small voice. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, you know, I, I got a lot of enjoyment out of that and, and, I got a lot of stories about my dad. You know, he was, I think my, my, if you want to call it that, I, I don't really identify as a libertarian, but my, I think my dad was a libertarian 
that he didn't even know it because <laughs> <laughs> he didn't have any, he wouldn't know what my dad's politics were because I don't think he even registered to vote until he was well into his forties. And he only did that because uh, one of our cousins was running for magistrate here. And then he cussed the whole time afterwards because he finally started getting jury duty. He, they finally started calling him up for jury duty. And he's like, oh, I never had jury duty. He said, until I registered to vote. He said, now they, he said, I said, then I, I think they hit him like twice in a year or something once. And, you know, he fussed about that. But you never knew what his politics were really because he was like, they're all, you know, uh, I guess he, he knew early on, it's like, oh, they're all playing for the same team. They're all crooks and they're all, you know, he was, he's like, I'm not voting, I'm not voting for that mess. I, you know, I could care less. And, uh, I just want to live my life and be left alone. Yeah, man. <laughs> and and yeah. I, I, I hate to think of what, you know, he's been gone since 2019, uh, I just I think sometimes I wonder what he would say about some of the stuff that's happening and how fast it's accelerated. I, I can just imagine, uh, you know, and and with stuff that's gone on because he lived through Vietnam and, you know, he saw that, you know, lay out every night on the television and he knew guys that were serving over there. And, and then, you know, the, the, the pull out and, and those things that happened in Vietnam and then the parallels that kind of went along with with what just happened in Afghanistan. And not, not that that's I fully agree. But we shouldn't we should have been we should have been out a long time ago, even if at all we should have been there. You can argue that back and forth. But me, I, you know, I we should have been out a long time ago. And, and I, I'm glad that we're we're getting out. But the way it was handled was very dishonorable. Yeah. And, uh, Without and you know, there was, there was a lot of parallels there because, you know, kind of the way that we left Vietnam was kind of, it, it was kind of, we just left the, the people that trusted us high and dry. Uh, yeah. you know, my dad, my dad always talked about that. And I just, I'm, you know, I would just be interested in what he had to say about what, how that was handled. But, yeah, I, I get my, I get that, I get that rebellious streak from him for sure. Because my mom was not, my mom was not rebellious. My mom was the, the rule follower. Uh, you know, uh, it, she was independent for sure, and you know, done the housework. She done a lot of repair work. Done, she painted. She, you know, done all these things, and just kind of wanted dad to stay out of the way. But, uh, you know, two kind of different personalities there. Dad was more of a guy that was going to push back and tell you what he thought and there wasn't any gray area there was only black or white and and uh you know like i said he was just a he was just a real independent dude and even to the even to the fault that sometimes you know with his family it was you know that's why i call myself the black sheep he was the black sheep and i'm the son of the black sheep he was black (laughs) sheep he was a black sheep because he didn't go along with the he didn't go along with the crowd as far as the family and stuff because they were always, you know, trying to force their stuff on him. And, and he was like, I, I, I don't want to do it. And the reason right. I don't want to do it is because you want me to do it. Yep. It ain't because I don't think it's a good idea. It's just, you want me to do it and I'm not doing it. So, yep. you know, anyway, it, it, I don't want to ramble on too much about that. You're There's plenty good, of other bro. time for it. Plenty other time for that. Uh, but yeah, it's been great. I uh, really enjoyed it. I've been wanting to do this for so long with someone because, you know, you can't, 
<clears throat> you can't convey something like that in so many characters. It's no. just difficult. And that's the reason why I stay away from trying to argue theology and, and those things on Twitter, because a lot of stuff is just lost. And, and y y it's a very difficult thing to do on there. It's, uh, it's hard without just sitting down one-on-one -on -one or even if it was somebody that was, uh, maybe they opposed my beliefs or didn't believe the way that I did, I, I can sit down here, we can see each other, look at each other across this table and we can have a discussion. Right. And, you know, we can get those nuances out. We can get those, you know, those details on both sides and you can't get that typing stuff out on the internet. No, I'm sorry. It's impossible, man. It's yeah. impossible. And that's why, that's why I steer clear of it. It's like, well, I'm not, I, I can't, <clears throat> I can't get into all the, I can't, give you all these details and all these things that I believe and that I know and pull out scriptures and all these things. There's just not enough. There's just not, it's just not a, it's just not a good format and a good venue for it. It's so really not, I man. Do, I don't, I don't do it. I just don't do it. So. And it's not just with, you know, that, that stuff. It's, you know, like a lot of my points that I want to make with drug policy. I mean, God, I could yeah. ramble for five hours and probably still not get all the information out there. Um, yeah. But, you know, we do these podcasts, you know, you, you jumped on, you gave your testimony that's going to stay up for as long as it's going to stay up. As long as I still have a podcast, I don't see me getting banned, you know, hopefully, but <laughs> well, you, you know, you're, know so, you're, so, you're so, you're so controversial. <laughs> I know, right. I, I'm yeah. pretty, uh, pretty neutral in a lot of those areas, man. Uh, unless, I, yeah. unless you work for the DEA, I think I might make you yeah. mad in that regard, but yeah. Yeah, you know. Well, if you're not making somebody, if you're not making somebody mad, or you're not upsetting both sides, at some point you're doing it wrong. So yeah, that's out <laughs> there, brother. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Jack, thank you so much for coming on. I love yes, you, brother. Sir. You I love you too, man. Wonderful friend, and you have a wonderful story, and uh, I can't wait for people to hear it, man. Yeah. Well, that's. Um, I hope that they enjoy it, and I hope folks listen. Uh, not so much just because I want to hear myself, I want myself heard, but just if it, if it, <coughs> excuse me, if it has an effect on one person, it's worth it. Absolutely, man. And it you know, will, if it has a positive, that has a positive effect. It's, you know, if there's a positive outcome, you know, if it can help someone or if it can encourage someone to reach out, if it can do whatever it's, it's worth it. You've already helped uh, me, man. I can only imagine how uh, many more it's going to help. So, um, well, yeah. Thanks, brother. Yeah, no problem, man. All right. Well, you have a good night. All right. You do the same. <clears throat> and we'll be talking to you, man. Yeah, two weeks, man. Yeah, two weeks. Yeah, the, the, yeah. The, 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 oh, gosh. Okay. I got to get myself psyched up for that one. <laughs> it's going to be great. Yeah, and I'm going to try. I'm going to try my best to do that one like I did this one. I'm going to try to remain uh, coherent and, and uh, sober through it. So that way, it's... I, <laughs> however, which way you want to go, brother, we'll figure it out. But I think anyway, between man, me and BK, the two of us rambling and, and whatever, <laughs> it's just a little bit too much. That's the good stuff, man. That's just the yeah, good stuff. Yeah. All yeah. right, Jack. All right. Well, you have a good night, brother. Yeah, yeah. You do the same, man. 
Man, that was a good talk. I, I love conversations like that. I love being able to just kind of hang out with good people. And uh, that, that is what Jack is. So thank you very much, brother, for coming on. And um, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed that. I know that was a little bit longer episode, so I'm not going to linger too much on this outro. Um, but I did want to kind of switch it up on the music that I do at the end of the episode, especially for this particular conversation. And uh, shout out to Theo Vaughn for turning me on to this song. This is Josh Kelly, and the song is called Hold Me My Lord. Kind of a gospel track, easy listening, just a good tune, man. So uh, here you go with Hold Me My Lord by Josh Kelly. Shine down your song So that it might Got me back home We all need some light On the darkest of days So that we might Not lose our way Asking you to hold me, hold me, hold me with your loving arms. All that I need is you to hold me, 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 hold I lost all my joy Till I found you Till I found you Blessed the hands That forgave this full heart And buried the sins To make way for a brand new start Holy, holy, holy Lord, holy my heart Down on my knees asking you to hold me Hold me, hold me with your loving arms All that I need is you to hold me Hold me, hold me, hold me, hold me, hold me, hold me Hold me, hold me with your loving arms 